Well, thanks. It's good to see you. I don't mean to be too overly sensitive, but thank you for raising your hand or clapping when when Pastor Gary asked if you enjoyed the teaching. About everybody did, except Doris. I looked over her and she said, not me. I didn't enjoy it. So, wow, thanks a lot. I sent Pastor Eddie a text about 15 minutes ago, said... uh, I knew he was out. I said, I'm so sorry. I had an emergency counseling appointment. I just can't make it tonight. I won't be there. And uh, so he texted me back and said, not funny. I'm in Baltimore. So, <laughs> Well, did you have a good day? I'm good. Good. Everybody love you today and treat you kindly and all, all sunshine and roses all day long. I hope not because... The, the messy stuff's what keeps me in business. I hope you had lots of problems in your life. That's what, that's what somebody, uh, <clears throat> we were, we were speaking in Texas, this, uh, Texas, where were we? Florida. We were speaking in Florida this weekend and, uh, somebody came up to me and said, you know, the, the world is just full of a lot of crazy people. And I said, I know, isn't it great? <laughs> Keeps me, I'll work forever. This is wonderful. This is a great thing. So, uh, 10 years ago, my wife was playing the piano uh, at our home and she had a vision. If, if you ever heard me tell this story, you've heard me say, I grew up Nazarene. We don't have visions. If we had a vision, it was bad pizza the night before. But she had a vision and she saw people raising their hand and praising God and telling their stories of, of how they were set free. And as they were telling their stories, other people were being set free. And Doris felt like that God was, was saying to her, this is something that you need to do. And so we planned a weekend. We had a, we had a room that we probably could squeeze 40 people into. So we planned a weekend and sent out emails and invited people to this event that we call Simply Free. And 600 people signed up for that first weekend. So we borrowed a church. We had no idea what to do, and we just called around, and we found a church. And interestingly enough, it was this building. It wasn't you guys, but we were in this building for that first Simply Free. And every year since then, we've done Simply Free. We haven't always been in this building, but we have, uh, since we've made this our church, we've been in this building. And uh, it is October the 20th and the 21st. It's a Friday night and Saturday. It starts Friday night about 6.30 and ends Saturday, probably about 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Uh, It is an absolute life-changing, wonderful weekend. Great praise and worship and just testimony after testimony of people whose lives have been uh, set free. We we get uh, all the time, we get invitations, I mean calls from people to say, hey, I can get so-and-so from the National Predators to come, or, we, you know, we can get one of the Tennessee Titans to come. And, and Doris's vision was, no, this is just us. This is just, uh, just regular, common, ordinary people. Just to show you how common and how ordinary, uh, we have two of our own that are speaking this year of the, of the five or six testimonies. Pastor Eddie is going to share his testimony. He's not going to preach, but we ask him to just share his testimony about being set free from depression. If you've ever heard him talk about that, it's a powerful, powerful testimony. And our own Mike Torres is going is to be one of the speakers for Simply Free. So we want to invite you to come. It's free, hence the name Simply Free. It's free. Uh, 
I'll tell you very quickly this part of it. I, we did it first year. We had 600 people. I said, this is amazing. So the next year, let's charge $39. That's not much. That's pretty cheap. In fact, I said, we can change the name. Instead of simply free, let's call it pretty darn cheap. But <laughs> we sent out invitations. Nobody, I kid you not, nobody signed up. Not one person. And, I, and God said, I didn't say pretty darn cheap. I said, do it free. And I had to send out an email and say, I was wrong. I'm sorry, I was wrong. It's free. And 600 people signed up again. So, and I don't, think they were, I don't think they were balking at the $39. I think God was saying, you do it my way or you don't do it at all. So it's free. But you do need to register because it helps us to get a count. And, uh, and, and there is lunch. Now, lunch is not free. Uh, but you can, you can order your lunch then. It's a great, great event. Going to be here at our church. And so we, in, we invite you to join us for Simply Free. Doris said... If you don't make that announcement, just don't come home. That's what she said. So. And I think she kind of said, and really, I don't care if you come home or not anyway. So, no, she didn't. She didn't say that. Um, we started. Uh, thank you for letting me be here. I, I have thoroughly enjoyed. I enjoy these times. That I, I, I'm always honored to preach on Sunday morning. That's always an honor for me. But to tell you the truth, my favorite thing is this. I like just standing with my hands in my pockets and saying, I don't know. Here's what I think. What do you think about this? And uh, so thank you for letting me do these Wednesday nights for these past couple of weeks and tonight. And Pastor Eddie just every once in a while asked me to do a, uh, a few weeks. And so we started uh, three weeks ago with, uh, with two ideas. One is we are, we're made for relationship. We're, we're made for each other. God said it's not good for man to be alone. He created us for relationship. But he also put that verse in the Bible that's one of my favorite. I quote to you all the time where two or three are gathered together. Somebody's going to be wacky. That just that verse of scripture means that when we come together in a relationship, there's always going to be difficulty. There's always going to be some trouble. And so the first week, so I, I called this our time together with friends like these who need Jesus. Uh, you know, we, our friendships, our, our, our marriages, our family relationships, there's always the possibility of, of, of struggle. And, and so it's obvious that we need Jesus in the middle of those. So the first week we dealt with this issue in relationships, conflict. What happens when two people who love each other, when a, when a group of people that really that are, have a common spirit, all of a sudden they get cross and conflict arises. What does Jesus say about that? I, I think Jesus is interested in our day-to-day life and how we react to one another. So what does Jesus say about conflict? And we talked through that and, and talked about some of the steps that Jesus gives us in handling conflict. And then last week, another issue that comes up is anger. We just get mad sometimes. We get angry. Or we, without knowing, sometimes without meaning, make someone else mad how do we deal with that in a relationship is is it appropriate for christians to be angry is it okay can we can we be mad is that all right and if so how do we handle that in the context of a relationship and and what would jesus have us do with with that so tonight i want to i want to talk to you about the last one and i've kind of saved uh, i don't know if i've saved the best for last or the worst for last but i've saved one of the hardest for last and I want to talk to you about rejection. What does Jesus say about rejection? 
If you are in a world where you connect to other people, and you are, uh, then you will experience at some point in that relationship, you will experience rejection. You will know what it is like to, be, to have that wound, to be wounded by this, this idea of rejection. We are not all made the same. We, we are like, like snowflakes. Everybody just a little bit different. Work? Say more about that. Who said work? David, was that you? Yeah, yeah. Sometimes you walk in and your boss says, you know, here's, here's a box, fill it with your stuff and see you later. Yeah. Been rejected. I, I, I've had lots of jobs. I say, listen, I've been fired from better jobs than this before. So, yeah. Where else? Where have you been rejected? In relationships. Just in. Does somebody say parents? Yeah. Isn't that a, you know? And, and sometimes maybe not even meaning, but we're we're rejected by our parents. Just it's a hard thing. Somebody back here. Parents. Rejection from our parents. Children. Yeah, our, pa- our children, uh, sometimes not meaning and sometimes meaning. They, they'll turn their back on us and we feel terribly rejected. Where else? Siblings, brothers and sisters can be... Somebody else? Yeah, yeah, peers, friends be rejected. I, uh, uh, I loved... I know this is surprises you all, but I wasn't always this incredible physical specimen that you see in front of you. Uh, I used to be a skinny, scrawny little guy, and I loved the, the playground picking teams. I loved that, you know. Okay, I'll take him. I'll take him. I'll take him. I'll take him. And it would get down between me and a folding chair, and they would say... I'd say, you, I'll take the folding chair, you know, and, I, and you know, or don't you love this conversation. Anybody ever been in this conversation? You, you can have Mike. We had him last week. You take him this week. So, yeah, sometimes our peers, we feel great. Every, every relationship has in it the potential and the possibility for rejection. And, and I think it might surprise us that Jesus says some very specific things about that. Sometimes our differences can be the source of rejection, you know? We just, we're not all the same and somebody doesn't. So I, I kind of, I'm starting with this working definition of rejection. Rejection is the act or idea of being excluded, turned away, or thrown back because of a real or perceived difference or flaw. So to be rejected is to be, is to be cast out. It literally comes from a Latin word that means to throw back, like the fish Chuck, that you, you're going through fish and this one's too small, so you throw it back. It comes from that idea because of some perceived difference or flaw. There's something wrong with you, and so we reject you. That can either be a group rejecting another person or another group, or a person rejecting another person. Uh, rejection, we're, we're, we're all familiar with it, and it creates havoc in, in our in our psyche and creates great pain we're going to talk about what it does in us in just a few minutes but let me ask you this was jesus ever rejected you think jesus was ever rejected let's let's look at some scripture real fast 
John 1.11. John begins the prologue to his gospel with these words. You know, he starts out in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And then in verse 11, he says, He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. Right from the beginning, the first description of Jesus is that he is, he's been rejected. In Luke chapter 4, verses 28 and 29, And all the people in the synagogue were filled with rage as they heard these things, as they heard Jesus teaching. And they got up and drove him out of the city. He was rejected even in the synagogue by the things that he was teaching. In Mark chapter 12 and verse 10, Jesus is quoting the Old Testament about himself when he says, Have you not heard this scripture? The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Jesus is saying, That's me. I'm the stone that has been rejected. And then, and then finally this... Uh, and I think it was one of the two most significant emotional moments for Jesus. One was the death of John the Baptist, his cousin. And right on the heels of that came this event when Jesus is preaching in his hometown. He's been the hometown hero. He was the, he was the quarterback of the football team and he sold more Boy Scout cookies than anybody else. I mean, he was the, he was the hometown hero. And now, all of a sudden... And when Jesus had finished these parables, he went away from there. And coming to his hometown, he taught them there in the synagogue. So they were astonished and said, where, where did this man get his wisdom and these mighty works? Is this not the carpenter's son? Is, is not his, Mary called, his mother called Mary? And are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And are not all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get these things? And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet's not without honor except in his hometown and his own household. And he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. I think Jesus was deeply wounded and hurt by the rejection that he felt of, of, of his peers, of the people there in his hometown. So Jesus understood uh, uh, rejection. He understood what it means. So I want to talk to you about what happens when we are rejected. But first, I need, uh, I need three volunteers, uh, real quick. Three guys to, to come up here. Brandon, would you mind coming? Uh, Pastor Gary, would you come? Uh, Chuck, do you mind? Oh, he's, uh, poor Chuck, he, I drag him in this every time. So, Pastor Gary, would you bring that ball with you when you come? Uh, we're going to show just a little bit. Uh, let's see. Yeah, I'm going to have you stand right here, Chuck. Brandon, you're okay right there. Pastor Gary, would you come about right here? And uh, I, I want to ask you all guys just to, just to toss the ball to each other. Do it easy, you know, not when it's not, not. Do it easy, yeah. And just, yeah, just randomly just toss the ball back and forth so everybody gets to toss the ball. And we're going we're gonna to look at just a little bit about this idea of what it feels like when all of a sudden... You have been excluded from the group, sometimes through no fault of your own, and you just, you're, you feel rejected. Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever, have you ever felt rejected? So, oh, Chuck just got his hopes up for just a second. They look like this. Now, let me explain something to you. I met with Brandon and Pastor Gary before the service started, and I said, let Chuck touch it twice, and then we're not going to throw it to him anymore after that. So thank you guys for doing that. But Chuck, before you sat down, how did that, I mean, and I know it's kind of a joke, and we're, but how did it feel to be rejected? Well, I realized pretty quick I was being rejected. <laughs> <laughs> You're a smart guy. You're a smart guy. Well, 
Yeah. And what's it make you feel? Oh, you know, left out. Uh, okay. Not a part of things. Yeah. Uh, not important. Oh, that's a good word. Not validated, not important. Thanks, Chuck. Thanks for that. Yeah. Those guys did a great job, didn't they? Here's, what, here's some of the things that happen when we are rejected. First of all, did, did you know that rejection can cause physical pain? That, we, that we, we literally can experience physical pain. There's a part of the brain called the dorsal posterior ulcer. Uh, this this, this po- dorsa means the top and the posterior and the rear of the brain. Uh, uh, this part of the brain is the pain center of the brain. When you, when you slam your finger in the car door, it's in the dorsal posterior also that you feel that, that, and that, that pain. It's the pain center of the brain. That also is the place where you feel rejection. You, uh, hurt feelings really do hurt. They, they really do hurt, and you feel that. In fact, here's an interesting thing. A, a study have been done, has been done. Uh, young girls who profess to having broken hearts. Have you heard that phrase, broken hearts? They would give them Tylenol, and they would feel better. That, that literally the pain is so real that we can use an analgesic that we use for other kinds of pain and it, and it makes us feel better. So, guys, if you're going to break up with your girlfriend, say, here's two things you say. First of all, you say, it's not you, it's me. And the second thing you say, here's a bottle of Tylenol. Uh, take two of these and don't call me in the morning. That's, what, that's, that's how you do that. Physical pain, it comes from rejection. Another thing that happens in rejection is lower IQ. That your IQ is lower, literally lowered when you're going, when you're experiencing the pain of being rejected. So have you ever, have you ever just really had your feelings hurt by a group or by someone? Have you ever had your, your, your kids turn their back on you and reject you? And, you? and you will say to somebody, I just can't think straight. I just, I'm, I'm so hurt, I just can't think straight. That's really true. You really can't. Our, your IQ is lowered and, our, and our, our brain function is diminished when we are in the middle of this pain that we call rejection. A loss of resiliency so that our immune system becomes more deficient. Our, our ability to, uh, to, to fight off aches and pains. And so things like fibromyalgia, uh, 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 rheumatoid types of things, and even just sickness in general, we are more susceptible to it in that time of really feeling the, the, the hurt and pain of uh, rejection. Um, an increase in aggressiveness. We, we, we are tr- a triggered, triggered aggression. Um, imagine this. Back in the early, early days... Uh, you know, primitive days when the when the group had to band together to fight the saber tooth tigers and the and the woolly mammoths, you know. And then one guy gets he does something wrong and he gets kicked out of the tribe. This is life and death. He he his survival, and so aggression is triggered in us that we're going to fight our way back into the into the tribe. And so sometimes we wonder why our, our wife does something that we perceive as us being rejected or our husband does something that we feel like is rejection. And this anger wells up in us. Where does that come? It is, this is all God, God made us the way we are. And this is all uh, biophysical responses 
to rejection. And then finally this, this destruction of self-esteem. Our, our worth and value. Chuck said it up here. I, don't, I feel like I'm, I'm worthless. Our worth and value is so connected to our ability to connect that when that is diminished, we, our self-esteem begins to, to be destroyed. We, we, we feel rejected. Um, okay, um, what we're going to do now is we're going to go around and pick about four of you and kick you out of here. So you, No, I'm just kidding. We're not going to do this. So how did Jesus handle rejection? Each time we've done this, I've taken particular words that Jesus said and said, this is what Jesus says about this. In this case, I want to tell you a story. And, and the story illustrates how Jesus handles rejection. Not so much his rejection, but the rejection he saw in someone else. Jesus did most of his ministry in the northern part of the kingdom, in, in the Galilean region, around Nazareth, where his hometown. He did most of his... But because Jerusalem is the, is the uh, religious center of the world at that time, he is constantly going back and forth from, from Galilee to Jerusalem. Most of, his, most of the stories in the New Testament, Jesus is either coming from Jerusalem or he's on his way to Jerusalem. This time, he says to his disciples, we have to go through Samaria. Now, you know that story. He doesn't have to go through Samaria. In fact, a good Jew really wouldn't go through Samaria. They would go over along the Mediterranean coast down by what's now Haifa, Tel Aviv. They would go that way. Or they go on the, on the uh, eastern border by uh, the Jordan River, Lebanon, Syria, down along that way. But Jesus says, no, we're going right through Samaria. Samaria is... It's, it's, it's the Woodbury of, of that. It's rough. It's just rough people live there. Uh, it's, a, it's, just, it's, a, it's a tough area. And, but Jesus says we're going through Samaria. He goes to, through Samaria, comes to a little village. There's a well there. He stops by the well, sends his disciples on in. And in just a few mo- minutes, a, a woman comes to the well. John, John gives us these interesting little details that we have no idea what they mean. Uh, but he says it's the middle of the day. So Jesus stops, middle of the day, and this woman comes to the well. Uh, the only thing about that is a little strange. That's not, middle of the day is not when a woman would go to the well. It's, first of all, it's the hottest part of the day. Secondly, the, the family needs water in the morning and in the evening, and so you wouldn't come in the middle, but she comes in the middle of the day. Jesus says, will you give me something to drink? And she's surprised she says, why would you, a Jew, talk to me, a Samaritan? A Jew wouldn't even talk to a Samaritan. And a Jewish man would not talk to a woman who wasn't his wife. They would cross to the other side of the street as, so as not to walk down the sidewalk beside them. So why would you, a, you, a Jew, talk to me, a Samaritan? He says, if you knew who was talking to you, you'd ask me for a drink. And she gives what I think is a pretty good response. It's pretty deep well, and you don't have a bucket. You know, I don't, I don't know how this is going to happen. And Jesus says, no, I'm talking about a a different kind of water. I'm talking about living water. If you drink this water, you'll never thirst again. And immediately something triggered in her, and she recognizes that this is a different kind of conversation, that that we're talking about religious stuff here. And so she tries to do just that. What do we do when we get a little bit convicted, you know, when we feel... We we try to have a religious conversation. Um... I, I would say, well, you know, the Baptists say once saved, always saved. But the Methodists say that you can lose your salvation. What, what do you think about that? Let's make this, 
Or, you know, some people say Jesus is coming back before the tribulation, some after the tribulation. Uh, Pastor Eddie says that we can speak in tongues. Mike grew up in a church that never spoke in tongues. Which one of those is right? Pastor Eddie's right. Let me just tell you about that. But, I, what, what, you know, we try to make... And Jesus says, listen, this is not a religious conversation. We're not, we're not going there. She says, our forefathers worship, Jesus, worship God in, in these hills. Your father worshiped God in that city. Which one's right? Jesus said, we're not, we're not talking about that. We're, she says, God's a spirit. And those that worship him, worship him in spirit and truth. She's still trying to be a little bit religious. Well, I know that someday when the Messiah comes. And here's an interesting part of this story. Jesus says something to her he hardly says to anybody. Jesus says, it's me. That's me. I'm the Messiah. He tells his disciples, don't tell anybody. He heals people and says, don't tell them about that. But to this woman, he says, it, it's me. That, that, that's me. And then he says this. Go tell your husband. Now, do you think Jesus didn't know? Do you think he was surprised when she said, I, I don't have a husband? I know. I know you've had five husbands. And the man you're living with now is not your husband. Matt, I'm not the best at like soul winning and personal evangelism. But I don't think you pick out the very worst thing. You know, you have a big wart right in the middle of your head, you know. You don't, you don't pick out the... Jesus goes right to the very worst thing. And all of a sudden, this whole story makes sense. This is a story about rejection. She is there at the well in the middle of the day because she has been so rejected by that community. It's a pretty small village. Probably some of those five husbands were married to some of the other women when she stole them away. She knows what it is to be rejected. She has come to the well in the morning and they have laughed at her and yelled at her and maybe even thrown stones at her. She has lived with rejection. And now she comes to the well and Jesus says, Hey, it's me. I'm the Messiah. Go get your husband and come back again. Isn't that a powerful story about, about rejection? Um, she goes, by the way. This is interesting. She goes and she says to the village... Come see a man who told me everything I've ever done. She has spent her whole life trying to hide what she's done. She spent her whole life fearing the rejection. Because, and now she says, hey, come see a man. Hey, you, all you guys who rejected me, come see a man who told me everything I've ever done. And I think the implication to that story is, but he loves me anyway. But he loves me anyway. Well, how do you... How do you help people through rejection or how do you get through rejecting yourself from this little story here's five things very quickly number one you tell the truth you tell the truth and i know yeah i know you don't have a husband you've had five husbands and the one you're living with now this is the truth we're just going to tell the truth here when 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 we are going through rejection we just tell the truth truth one place where that's really important in fact i i, I jotted down two things don't glamorize it or don't minimize it we glamorize it by saying, oh, that church that kicked me out, it's the best church in the whole world. It's the most wonderful church. I'll never find a church like that. I'll, I'll Listen, I've been kicked out of so many good churches. There's lots of good churches out there. Don't, but we glamorize it. That boyfriend that broke up with me, he was perfect for me. He was the most wonderful person. Don't glamorize that. You know, that... that uh, uh, 
uh, my relationship with my kids. You know, it was just a perfect relationship. I don't know why they, I don't know why they're not talking. It was perfect. Don't glamorize it. Tell the truth about it. But also, don't minimize it. Now, it's no big deal. It won't hurt. You know, there's plenty of fish in the sea. No. Tell the truth about it. This was a painful, painful experience. This, this, this is this really, I hate this. I hate that I'm going through this. Tell the truth about where you are in this relationship. Secondly, give yourself time. I don't know how exactly how far it is, but Jesus says, Go, go get them and bring them back. She had a little time to think about this. Do you think she didn't think on the way? Oh, man, I'm not, I'm not doing this. I'm not, no. She has time to process it, to think through it. I, I talk to people all the time in counseling settings about the fact that we have in us, I think, a pool of pain. When we go through these tra- traumatic events, we have a pool of pain. And that pool has to be drained. It has to be drained. Dora says all the time, either you'll deal with your hurt or your hurt will deal with you. You have to drain that pool of pain. And right now, there are only two ways that I know to deal with that pool of pain. Tears and talking. Those two things. Tears and talking. So you give yourself time to cry. You give yourself time to mourn. I, I miss those people. I miss that. I, 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 you know, I hate that my mother has said to me that, that I'm not well. I hate that. And give yourself plenty of time to, to cry and to talk about it. She's right up here, Darren. Just come right this way. Keep walking, keep walking. There you go. <laughs> uh, don't come in late. We'll, let, we'll, we'll reject you if you come in late. So, uh, Give yourself time to, to deal with it. The, the third thing, though, once you've done that, once you've told the truth, and then you've given yourself time, then begin to reframe the story. Reframe the story. This is not the worst thing that has ever happened. I will get through this. My wife says all the time. Uh, it's just kind of hurt. My wife will say, oh, this is going to kill me. This is going to kill me. I say, oh, sweetheart, it's, it's not really going to kill you. Oh, if I have to tell the boys that, they'll just die. They'll just, no, they're not going to die. We reframe the story and we begin to tell it in a different way. We begin to see the, the bigger picture in all of this. Quite honestly, some of the best relationships we've ever had, some of the closest friendships, some of the, some of the most beneficial, beneficial connections we've ever had have probably come as a result of rejection in other places. And then all of a sudden, we find ourselves in a place that's, that's better for us. Every once in a while, I, I still, the, the, the shame and the pain of, of the rejection that I created and that I caused wells up in me. And uh, a while back, I sent, uh, I sent a text to the boys, to Josh and Jacob, my two sons. And I said, guys, I, I just want you to know, it is not lost on me the pain that I created for our family. And I, and I want you to know, I, I, you know, you had to move, you had to leave your school, and you went through some rejection, and that's not lost on me. And I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry for what I put you all through. Josh immediately texted me back. He said, Dad... If we had not moved to Murfreesboro, I would never have met Jennifer. I wouldn't have the career that I have. I wouldn't have John Michael and Jackson. So I'm sorry about your stuff, but my life turned out pretty good. (laughs) You know, reframe the story and see the good in the story. Third, look for the growth point. Look, Look for the growth point in this. I can now do this. 
You know, I can, you know, I, I've, I, I confess I was getting a little, a little stale, a little stuck in that church. I can explore. Uh, I'm going to say this. If you tell anybody I said this, I'll deny I said it. Um, there was a time when the only church in the whole world was the church of the Nazarene. There were other churches, but the only people who really loved Jesus was the church of the Nazarene. Doris and I have been amazed to find how big God is. We didn't know. We thought, we, we sang that song, I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene. I thought, well, that's, that's, that says it right there. We have been amazed at what God has done in our lives as, as we have moved on past those times of, of rejection. So look for the growth point. Look for those places where God is going to take this rejection. And now I have the opportunity to and, and just and fill in the blank. And then finally this, trust God. Trust God. You have not been rejected by him. Jesus says, oh, I kind of got away from the story, didn't I? Well, there's great connection. I just got away from it. You can make the application yourself. But Jesus says, hey, I'm the Messiah. It's, it's me. I'm the one. I know. I know that village doesn't like you. I know those women make fun of you. I know those, those ex-husbands are after you. I know that. But, but you can trust. I'm the Messiah. I'm the one that can take care of all this. You have not been rejected by him. And so you trust God in that. Does, that. does that make sense? When you are facing rejection, when your heart is so broken and you need to take three Tylenol and this thing is just, it's hurting so bad and your IQ has just dropped down to, down to Woodbury level since I'm picking on Woodbury, I'll just go there. <laughs> when, when all of that has happened, you tell the truth about the story. You give yourself time to heal you reframe the story. You look for the growth points and you trust God in all of that. So the story ends. She comes back and John says, And many uh, in the village believed because of the great miracles that Jesus did. No, John doesn't say that. He said many of the people in the village believed because of the wonderful sermon that Jesus preached. No, John doesn't say that. John says, and many of the people believed because of what the woman said. God will take your hurt and your rejection and the way you handle that with grace and, 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 and with dignity and with, and with hope. He will take that and he'll turn it around and lives will be changed because they see you walking through that but keeping your hand close to God. Is that... Is that okay? So when you deal with rejection, you remember that God can use that. Uh, one of my favorite verses of Scripture is Philippians chapter 3. And Paul talks about uh, all the things that mattered to him. And he was a, a, a zealous, zealous of the law, perfect, all these things. And then he says, because he's been rejected. Because of his accepting Christ, he's been rejected. But all these things, I count them for loss. They're, they're not even important anymore. They don't matter to me anymore. I consider them garbage, he says, that I may be gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ Jesus, the righteousness that comes from God. And then he says this. This is my life verse. I want to know Christ 
and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his suffering, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead. I've been kicked out of this and rejected by that and hurt by these people, but you know what? I want to know Christ. I want to know Christ. And I want people to know Christ through the way they see me handle rejection. Conflict, anger, rejection, it all comes. But Jesus says some important things about that. And I think when we get through it the right way, we make an impact on other people.